Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Multifamily Mondays. I am here with my colleague, Ada Okar, and I brought him on to the team and been showing him the whole process for how we go about acquiring properties and making offers and everything in between. So, you know, this is Matt Grzycki, obviously. Um, been running this now for a few years and particularly focus on the multifamily triple net warehouse and land development acquisitions um, as an acquisition specialist that's what i do so uh without further ado ada how you been doing man i'm good man uh yeah so my name is ada akar i recently joined the keller williams team here with matt and uh, i would say i'm a young gun with in the commercial real estate industry but um, i'm working alongside matt here and he's teaching me a lot so uh, if it's cool with you matt uh we'll just jump right into it yeah, sure. I actually did have a question for you though first yeah. of like what has been your top your number one takeaway since starting in the last 3 weeks. Um, I would say it's it's just changed my perspective on how I look at um just buildings and uh, real estate by itself when I'm when I'm outside. I uh I just see like uh I just think to myself whether like what what went into this like in the creation of this building. Uh, like who were the partners like the property managers it just kind of changes like my whole outlook of uh, real estate on like in a whole so um, more on that but uh, I would say it's just it's, it's just an industry that has like limitless potential and that's that's what's really like hooked me yeah for sure so all right cool well then let's dive into the rest of them yeah so uh, my first question was uh, what are the best qualifying questions to ask either a seller or a buyer mm -hmm. uh, to know what their true intentions are with real estate? Yeah, so when you're trying, and this is qualifying a buyer, mm -hmm. okay, so remember that magic question we talked about last week, which was, was how much capital do you currently mm -hmm. have allocated towards the purchase of real estate? Because you're essentially asking them, how much money do you have? And if they don't have the money right now, the likelihood that you're going to get to the closing table is slim to none. And if they're trying to pull a seller finance card out of thin air, it's probably not going to happen. If they just want to get the property under contract, then they want to go try and raise the money. Um, fine, except <clears throat> if I'm going to work with you and you're going to syndicate it like that, you need to have a proven track record. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that would kind of be my next thing of like how many projects have you done? What other properties do you own? When a bank goes to qualify a buyer to lend with them, they're going to ask for an SREO, which is a schedule of real estate assets and a bio. So if you can get an idea of what they owned before and, you know, if it's somebody that owns a hundred units and they're looking to buy a 20 unit complex, you're going to say this person is totally capable. But if you go with someone that owns two units and they're going to buy 20 units you're going to say can you make that you know can you make that jump mm -hmm. so it's just the whole thing of qualifying the buyers who their partners are um you know they might be leveraging other people and their you know history and their partnerships so it's just a matter of doing your homework we do have the info sheets whenever we bring somebody on uh, but yeah number one qualify how much capital that they have to put down towards the purchase of real estate. And then number two, look at how many properties they currently own, how long they've been in the business and, and things like that. Okay, so basically just try to gather as much information of what their like past experiences are, 
what they're dealing with, what can what they can bring to the table. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it like ask them the last property that they did. If you can, if they can tell you in depth about the last project that they did, then chances are they're going to be real. Um, and this is kind of dabbling a little bit in both the residential and commercial side because if they're like, yeah, you know, like I got this property under contract and, you know, it just like kind of fizzled out, like didn't quite work. I'm like, okay, well, I, I can tell right away if somebody's trying to wholesale a deal mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to run into a lot of those people. But um, either way, I just am not interested in doing that. But it that comes with time. Yeah, for sure. And then more on the how, how to qualify a seller. Because with seller calls, I'm kind of I'm learning pretty quickly here that uh, some people either do have the time of day or they don't right away. And they'll let you know right off the bat. So what would you say would be some good uh, questions to ask a seller to be more open with you, kind of build that rapport with them uh, and so you can build that trust and so they can really open up about uh, the property and their true intentions? Yeah, so whenever I'm talking with the seller, um, ultimately, I want to gauge how motivated they are, but at the same time, I'm doing way more listening than I am talking, mm-hmm. and if I can just get them talking and in, in create myself as a person of value to them, I bring more to the table than just somebody trying to get a listing or, you know, give them an offer. Um, you know, there's a lot more to it than that, but... In the seller's eyes, they all have different motivations. A lot of them will just buy it, hold and hold and hold and hold, and they won't sell it until they want to trade up for something more, or they're getting ready to retire and they've been managing it for a really long time. Um, and maybe they have some other partners that have money that they want to do for something else, and so then the partnership default dissolves. And you know, there's all different kinds of things that could happen, and you never know, which is why you always constantly have to be following up with people because you never know what their timeline looks like. Um, but yeah, just, um, being a good listener is the number one thing being light on your toes, being the kind of person that you'd want to talk to again, Mm -hmm. you know? So put yourself in their shoes. And if after that call you can look back and say, yeah, you know, that's the kind of conversation, like kind of person I can have a conversation with. And, and not like feel weird because yeah. like I've definitely been there before where I'm talking with sellers of properties and I'm just like, Ugh, like I got like a weird feeling after that, you know? And <clears throat> then there's other times where it's like, wow, that's a really cool dude. Like I would like to do business with him in the future. So it's just finding those type of people that you align with and not everybody is going to take well to a cold call. Um, and other people are going to be more of a handshake, got to meet you type of person. A lot of business happens through referrals as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's about it on the seller side. Yeah. I like that a lot too. I mean, uh, you keep on telling me this almost every day. It just comes with practice. Like you got to put in the reps mm-hmm. towards it. So, yeah, um, that's what it says on the paper right there. Some will, some won't. So what someone's waiting. Exactly. So yeah. it, it is a numbers game. For sure. I mean, I'm, if there are other like new people out here too uh, that are getting into this game and struggling with cold calling, I would just say um, uh, definitely record yourself. Uh, Matt, Matt told me that about that a while ago, and uh, it, I've definitely 
I've definitely seen some uh, progression with that. That way you can critique yourself. Not a lot of people see, like, hear themselves while they're uh, talking. So it's a, it's a nice uh, way to just uh, really improve on how you communicate with these people. But as for my second question, uh, I know that you are pursuing getting your brokerage license here. So what would you say are the main differences that you're seeing between the buyer brokerage business and the commercial real estate side? Yeah, so you're asking about the business brokerage. Business so, brokerage. Okay. Yeah, so business brokerage and commercial real estate brokerage mm -hmm. are two totally separate things because commercial real estate involves real estate, whereas business brokerage doesn't always involve like tangible physical property. Actually, mm -hmm. more often than not, it doesn't involve the property. Businesses that are sold that own property actually sell at a premium, but um, yeah, you're actually selling the goodwill, the interests of the company itself um, rather than just a building. And then through the building, you're able to get creative and think about what its highest and best uses and, and how to make it best cash flow and things like that. So that's really the major big difference. And also uh, in commercial real estate, it was pointed out to me from a guy that's been doing this for like 40 years. He said, in commercial real estate, you're buying an asset in business brokerage, you're buying a livelihood. And that's particularly true in business brokerage deals that are below five million. Once it gets above that, you get into mergers and acquisitions of these like high-flying private equity funds and stuff like that. But um, on Main Street America business brokerage, you're more or less buying a livelihood that you're gonna be in it every day. And you're gonna be running the operations and doing things like that. Um, and with the commercial real estate side, you can be more of an absentee owner and then have somebody else and with their operations there and, and doing things like that. So <clears throat> that's, that's that, that's the difference. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, moving forward, um, I know you recommended uh, the book Shift to me. And uh, if you can, do you remember who the author of that book was? <sighs> yeah, so I believe that Shift was actually forwarded by Gary Keller, but okay. it, yeah, if you just type in Shift Commercial, Gary Keller should pop up. Mm -hmm. And that book has been really helping me too, whether it be with the lingo or just uh, how to attack the industry in a current shift. So I was going to ask you, what are your ways or um, the major signs I would say that you can see uh, to uh, see an incoming shift in the market? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, being on the commercial real estate side, you really are on the tip of the spear because you're seeing the interest rates change as you're making calls with your lenders. You're seeing the buyer's interest change. You're seeing more leasing activity pop up. You're seeing less buying and selling going on. You're seeing the days on market go up. You're seeing price decreases. Mm -hmm. So once you start seeing all of those things, you start putting the pieces together and you go, oh, okay, we're in a shift. And so that's ultimately how you put that together. And then looking at the macroeconomic things um, national, nationwide, but also regionally, which is the unemployment rate, um, you know, GDP, like just production in general. Um, that's basically how I would look at that. Nice. So you would say there's a, there's a, there's a decent amount of ways that you can see uh, how a shift is coming. And what would you say are like the best way to um, tackle that shift and like to like 
I would say to benefit, best position yourself. Yeah, to yeah. benefit from it. Yeah, so I mean, what Gary Keller says in the book is that there's always what he calls markets of the moment, and so as the market progresses, there's going to be certain areas, niches, segments that are hotter than others. So business brokerage will do better in some areas. Leasing activity will kick up in certain times. Buying and selling will kick up in certain times. Lending will be hot in certain times. So all of these different segments will have their time. And just sticking with one thing and continuing to be really well at that, being known for that, when it does become your time, you're going to be well positioned and everyone else is just going to be chasing to catch up. Yeah. And so just hit it home uh, when that time comes. Nice. Nice. I really like that. Um, my next question was, um, how important is it to a realtor to know the market that they're working in? So, I mean, extremely important. Mm-hmm. And also talking like one of the vocabulary terms they teach you when you first get your real estate license is farming. And okay. so farming is getting to know all of the properties, all of the key people in your area, uh, particularly in commercial. So, you know, being here based out of St. Pete, I'm looking in different areas, segments, uh, warehousing, like Warehouse Arts District, and then um, looking for multifamily stuff, which I'm seeing a good amount of that kind of in the, you know, Pinellas Park area. And then also looking for warehouse space kind of over in like Almerton and just things like that. These little pockets are known for different things. So getting to know owners, um, you know, key influencers, buyers, sellers in those areas, um, you know, are, are key to position yourself with, align with, and, and so on and so forth. Nice. So you would say first, um, I know we're based out of here in St. Pete, Florida, and we, we work with all around uh, the west coast of Florida. But um, you would say for people that are first starting real estate, it's really important to uh, really focus in on like the current area that you are in and then branch out from there. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that that's really where your bread and butter is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be your home base. And once you have a bunch of other people you work with here locally, they're going to start rooting for you. And when people start rooting for you, that means you're going to start getting referrals and start branching out further yeah. and further. And that's where the real business happens. Correct. Nice. Um, and then moving forward to uh, the real estate laws. What are, uh, a problem that I came across was... Um, what problems that do you come across uh, with zoning land and um, so yeah I'll just say zoning and uh, land laws so zoning a lot of times is used in every county state whatever is going to have municipal code ordinance so you're able to tell what the highest and best use of that property is going to be so how much square footage can be built on that property Um, and then what uses are permitted, which ones aren't. So whenever I find a piece of property, particularly property that has a good amount of land, um, the first thing I'm going to do is look it up and look in the muni code and find out, you know, how high I can build, what the, the far is floor area ratio. And then from there, uh, I'm going to look at the zoning and then if it's it versus, um, CCS two or whatever the case might be and then determine what operator would be a best fit for that property, what development opportunities exist there, and 
things like that. Because where we are here, a lot of this is all developed. There's not a lot of land that's left to go and build. So when you do find a good amount of property um, in an area that's highly developed, like St. Petersburg, like, um, you know, really the core part of Tampa, um, you know, you'll definitely want to check out those ordinance. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then if you want to get it rezoned, a lot of times they'll require a public hearing. So you can do a public hearing. Uh, you just need to get that passed and that costs a little bit of money to do. Um, we looked at doing that for a piece of land up in North Florida and we were going to change it from essentially three units an acre to like 20 units an acre. And that would have definitely helped, but it, you know, it's just a long process. It takes a long time. And that's why land developers and things like that will actually buy a piece of undeveloped, just raw land, and then they'll get the rezoning done, they'll clear it, they'll prep it, they'll make sure it's right, and then they'll just sell it off to a developer ready to move in right there. Mm -hmm. So that's like a whole another industry that exists that uh, not everybody knows about. So that's part of it. Um, then you gotta always take a look at like easements and setbacks and things like that. Um, there's also overlays that exist for workforce housing. You want to check out opportunity zones. So there's all different kinds of things that go into land itself. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I know earlier you were asking me what uh, what have I taken from like, these three weeks, and this is the uh, this is like a part of it for sure. Every day, um, I learn something that I've never like uh, like uh, heard of before. Um, all of like the zoning laws and like whether it be the CC two or um, all the other things but um, it's this this business by itself is so interesting to me and like every day I get to learn a little bit more and every day you just you feel that accomplishment every day uh, just by um, veering off into like one way and then uh, seeing a whole a whole bunch of different uh, branches opening up but um, yeah uh, my next question was Oh, this one is, I really like it. Uh, so what are the best ways to expand your network and uh, branch out and build more connections in the commercial real estate business? Yeah, so if you listen to all the Facebook gurus, they're gonna tell you to buy their course for mm -hmm. $9.99, and uh, you know, then they're gonna have you post a bunch of Facebook ads, and then you're gonna have to shell out $150 a month, so that way you can get a certain number of impressions yeah. and drive traffic to your ClickFunnels page mm -hmm. and all that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude, screw all of that. Um, word of mouth is the number one way to differentiate yourself, because if people are talking about you, you're doing something new, you're doing something that other people aren't doing, um, and it's something that gets noted. So that, it like referrals is the biggest thing and for that you need to differentiate yourself in one way or another and play to your strengths and improve on your weaknesses as much as you can but um yeah i mean word of mouth is going to be the biggest thing going to a lot of the events conventions mm -hmm. um tampa Rio, i went to that for you know probably two years and then i started doing my own event i went to events every single monday uh, Larry Harbaugh event up in um, Pinellas Park and you know I did that for a long time I, I met some good people there and people that I still talk with to this day uh, that I've done some business with so you know you do meet some good people there uh, there's a lot of people that are just learning and on the commercial side um, you know we don't deal with a lot of single-family house stuff and the Tamperia you know they uh, include a lot of the single-family investors and <clears throat> fixing a flip and stuff like that and you know i just don't really do a lot of that anymore 
Did you see a lot of benefit from going to the Tipperia? Oh, I did for sure. And and then if you keep going for long enough, they'll have all of these guest speakers that are always trying to sell you a two, three day boot, yeah. boot camp. And dude, I'm just so tired of the boot camp pitch. I just can't do it anymore. Um, one thing you told me during my first week here kind of stuck to me is, is uh, you, you do see all these online gurus that are trying to sell you these courses because um, to, if, you, if you really think about it, it's much more easier to sell a program and than actually doing like the hard work that me and you are doing every day and calling these uh, sellers and seeing what their motives are and learning really what it is from the inside out and building the connections. Whereas uh, most of the people you see on YouTube where, are, where they're selling the courses, uh, they make themselves out to be these gurus where they know so much but in, in reality they don't they don't know anything so um, uh, but yeah it is it is very interesting I'm really liking the part where um, you, you really do learn this um, this business more where uh, you are making the calls you are reaching out you are learning about commercial real estate by in a whole but um, yeah I don't know if you want to add anything more onto that yeah, for sure. And I mean, some of those people, they do know what they're talking about, but they've done it just a couple of times and then they look at that as a pass to go yeah. out and start selling, you know, $1,500, $2,500 things. And don't get me wrong, I'll still accept $1,500 from somebody more or less as a retainer to go out and do work on their behalf, but I'm not doing that to basically give them access to my underwriting and you know maybe an article or two and say go figure it out mm -hmm. but um either way yeah i mean the only way you're really going to learn is from actually like getting you know just dump jumping in two feet first and just and just giving yourself that no options mentality almost and just just working as hard as you can mm -hmm. and, and honestly um just outlast people. I've been doing this now for three years and the number of people that I've seen get in and then fall off within the first few weeks or even the first few months, um, not even past the first year, like a good amount. I mean, I mean, easily over 50% will fall off within the first year or two. So, you know, if you can stay in this business for at least 10 years, and you continuously and consistently keep putting in the actions and the key things like making the 50 phone calls a day, like sending all of the offers, like building those buyer relationships, consistently building a CRM, doing all of those things for 10 years, there's no way you, you won't amount to more. And I think that too many people nowadays will just look at the, the short-sighted game and really not want to put in the time. And if you are young and if you are you know, like we are, I mean, I'm 24 now, I've been doing this for three years. And, uh, I mean, now's my time to, to put in the time when you don't have a lot of that overhead liability of, uh, of family and, and everything else to, to raise and care for and everything else. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So we're, you said you've been doing this for three years now. What would you say, um, or I don't know, were there times where in the beginning you did uh, want to like go on a different path and you you might you might have thought like this was too hard or um, like what, what were some things that did keep you like driving and pushing on this every day <clears throat> for sure um, you know one of the guys at my last brokerage said something to me that like really hit home which was he's like you know when's the last time you just stuck with one thing and like just did that really well 
And I actually asked myself that question really seriously. And being an entrepreneurship major in school, I was constantly jumping from idea to idea to idea to idea. And my senior year, I really got tired of being the idea guy. And I wanted to be the executor, the person that continued through and, and finished things. So, you know, I differentiated myself to that closer type. And I narrowed my focus to just real estate and made that the number one overall priority. I put crypto aside, I put gold aside, I put everything else aside, and I really was focused towards the yield. I was focused towards how much money can I bring in on a consistent basis as an absentee owner to grow my investments, to have cash flow, to have tax leverage advantage, things like that. And real estate, you know, just just wins every time, every every single time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, in the beginning, wanted to get into real estate for the investment side as myself personally. I didn't want to get into it to essentially help other clients and do representations and stuff like that. So when I basically went out and started to try and do um, the private equity fund side of things about two years ago, you know, my, my business took a dive and my focus was just all over the place. And now that I have been able to focus on just doing the regular brokerage and helping everybody else, I've been able to learn at the same time. I have helped a lot of people make a lot of money and, you know, I'm just earning my stripes, you know. And so as you continue to progress through, um, you know, I am doing business brokerage. I helped the, you know, company sell for a million and a half and... Um, I mean, that's something that people spend decades doing and uh, just to actually help and be a part of the local economy and see things happen in real time. It's it's definitely rewarding. But yeah, yeah, just sticking with one thing and becoming the best you can at it. And like I was telling you last week, uh, there is an absolute premium for being the best in the business. And when you are the best in the business, like it's it's undeniable when you become undeniable like people literally just can't tell you no mm-hmm. and you just you just get all the glory that's that's amazing man that's great i mean I, I love that just the key is just to stay consistent and just keep on keep on working harder than the person next to you um that's great man uh but yeah if that's cool with you i don't know if you need to add anything else but yeah um i think you had one more question about the oh expectations the client expectations yeah so how, how might you ex- uh, establish client expectations from a from an upfront uh, value or from an upfront um standpoint yeah so you want to position yourself as a person of influence you want to educate them i mean it, it should really be like an educational thing as you're bringing a buyer or a seller on you want to tell them exactly how that whole process is going to go and then after you've shown them all of that um, you've revealed all of your resources you've revealed your knowledge and if you've been able to teach them something that they didn't know beforehand then they're going to position you as the go-to person when it is time to make a buying or selling decision Um, so yeah just giving a little bit of value, giving a little bit of value, positioning yourself as that key person of influence. Uh, that's that's ultimately 
where you want to be at. Making sure you just show value to them and um, see, like, basically just helping them out and showing you what you can do for them and trying to stand out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Nice, man. So, yeah, well, that about wraps up all the questions for this week. Um, Otto, thank you so much for being here on the episode. And um, looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Sweet.